Our scripture today is found in John 13, 1 to 10, and verses 33 to 35. If you are able, please stand for the reading of the scripture. Let's hear God's word. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. Moving to verse 33. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Our guest preacher for today is Joe Montgomery. Joe lives uh, with his family who's here today. We welcome you. and uh, Joe's uh, brother, Steve and Mel are here. And his mom, did you make it? All right. His mom flew in this morning. So we're really glad you made it. So welcome his family. Uh, Joe's a pilot for Delta Airlines. And also he and his family worship at the Gate Church in North Lima where over the years he has filled the pulpit. Joe preached here, I think about two years ago. It was when we were meeting over uh, virtually and the sound quality was terrible and I felt horrible. So I'm really glad that Joe now can be back and preach uh, in person. Uh, we've got our audiovisual worked out better now. Joe's also a friend of mine, so we get together periodically and we, we cover a wide variety of topics and mutual interests, but our conversations inevitably always come back to faith, scripture, and Jesus. And I always walk away from these conversations with Joe, encouraged by his deep love of scripture, uh, and even more his deep love of Jesus. So thank you, Joe, for being with us today. Well, good morning. Uh, it really is uh, my privilege to be here. I appreciate the introduction, Matt. Um, I love the opportunity to do this, and. Uh, and uh, the invitation to do it, I, I really appreciate it. I appreciate your attention and uh, invitation. 
invitation to bring me here. If you have your Bible, you can open to John 13. That's where we're going to be um, for that, uh, for the rest of the morning, for, throughout most of that uh, chapter. And while you're doing that, um, I just want to make a couple comments about my friend Matt. <laughs> I've gotten to know him uh, over the last year and a half or so. Like he said, we get together and have um, breakfast or coffee, usually, occasionally lunch or something like that. I always come home from those conversations and my wife says, so, so how was your time? And it was great. And, and she says, um, how's, how's Matt doing? Well, he seems to be doing okay. And she says, well, how's, how's his family? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> we, we didn't really talk about that. And she, well, how's his church? And I go, well, I mean, he said a few things we didn't really talk about. And she, she invariably, every time, goes, what do you guys talk about? I guess it's incomprehensible to her, but uh, usually we schedule like an hour or two and we end up staying for three if we have space to do it because um, I just learned so much from his perspective on scripture and he's a, he's a student of the word and I can tell you he's um, passionate about this church and his leadership here uh, and even more so passionate about the Lord and that's been a real encouragement to me. I mean, friendship with you, Matt, has been a highlight of the last um, year or two of my life, so thank you. Uh, I sincerely mean that, thank you. Um, I want to look today at uh, John 13, 34 specifically. Um, it's a new command Jesus gives to his disciples. So we just heard the story, Jesus washes his disciples' feet, and then he gives them this command. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So we pray with me, and then we will um, dive into this. Father, thank you uh, for this morning. Jesus, thank you for this incredible example uh, of love and this command that is um, at first glance really simple and then the more we look the more it, uh, it fills up with meaning and uh, I pray that you would help us to see what this means, that you would help me to see it and, and communicate it and that you would help us as a church to hear and receive the love that you have for us and the command that you have for us to love each other well. Pray your blessing on this time, in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I started out with big ambitions, and, uh, and if I would have stuck with them, <laughs> this would be a three-hour sermon. Um, so I have pared it down just to two points. Uh, I, I want to look at the example of Jesus' love, um, and then I want to look at the revelation of love that we have in this example. And so first, the example of Jesus' love. John opens this chapter with a, what I think is a really beautiful statement of Jesus, so much so that uh, it became the title of this sermon, Love to the End. John says, It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I mean, what a beautiful line. John looks back from this vantage point over three years of time with Jesus, and he he distills it down to one characteristic. He says he loved us. He loved his disciples. And then he looks forward from that point, and he says, and now he loved them to the end. And of course, John is, is there's a huge pivot here as Jesus kind of turns from teaching and leading his disciples to face the cross, and he begins to explain to them what the cross means uh, with this beautiful picture of foot washing. But but John describes it this way, he loved them to the end. He loved them in his descriptions, he loved them in his example, 
and he loved them with a steadfast love that took him straight to the cross when he left this, this meeting. Um, I just think it's a beautiful picture of the, the, the entirety of Jesus' love. And then, and then he, takes, uh, he takes off an outer garment and he takes a basin of water and he goes around the room and he washes the feet of the 12 disciples. And so we'll talk more about that, but then at the conclusion of that, we read in John 13, 14, and 15, he, Jesus says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And so what Jesus says is, what I have just done for you is an example for you. It's something for you to follow. And so what I want to look at first this morning is the example of Jesus' love as he washes his disciples' feet. And, uh, and I think there's a lot we can learn. You could, you could kind of uh, just study this for a long period of time, right? But I'm just going to make three observations of the, the love of Jesus as he washes his disciples' feet. And so the first one is this, Christian, Christian love sometimes seems ordinary. It sometimes seems ordinary. Look at verse 5. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. The significance and grandeur of the love that is required for us does not only occur in significant and grand events. Do you know what I mean? I mean... For me, this is convicting. Like, the Son of God is demonstrating his, his love, the love that is eternal between him and the Father that he is now sharing with his disciples. This big, massive picture of love he's demonstrating to his disciples, and the way he does it is he gets down on the ground and he washes their feet. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about what it means to love other people, I have this impulse, like, I, I really want it to matter. Like, I want it to be a big deal. I want my love to change things for at least for some people, if not like for communities. I, you know, like I know I drive my wife crazy because I, I constantly come up with these ideas like maybe it's not too late for me to go to med school. And <laughs> there are like entire populations of people without decent health care and we could move and we could provide health care to the people that, that don't even have basic essential health care. Or, you know, I hear about the International Justice Mission, these teams of lawyers that go all over the world combating the international sex uh, trafficking trade. And I think to myself, man, I could do that. <laughs> like, I could, I could join that team and go, you know, take on the worst of the worst people and combat international sex trade. What a, what a way to live your life, right? And I think what this passage reminds us what it reminds me is that sometimes Christian love is just ordinary. It doesn't make a big splash. It doesn't necessarily change everything. And if, if you're like me, if, you, if you're kind of waiting for the big moments or the big opportunities, maybe what you need to do, maybe what we need to do is just start loving the people right in front of us, meeting the needs that are right in front of us, right? This is what Jesus does with his disciples right now. He washes his feet and and maybe it's messy, maybe it's dirty, maybe it doesn't smell very good. But our Lord leads the way as he washes feet, right? This is what it means for us to love. It's not always a big event. Sometimes Christian love is ordinary. Number two, Christian love is selfless love. Look at John 13, verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and 
wrapped a towel around his waist. One of the, one of the big lies about love that we see in our culture now more and more, it's like really pervasive, is that love is for you. And that love is for your happiness. Like that's what love is. That the way to happiness is to find love and the point of love is to fill you up and make you whole and give you meaning and purpose that love is for you. And so when you buy into that narrative, you start to do things like use your resources, use whatever things you have available to you to get love, right? Whether it's romantic love or it's friendship love or it's just to get in the circle of influence that you want to be part of or the work relationships you want to establish, we use the things available to us to gain love because we buy into this lie that love is for us. But here's Jesus. John says that he has this knowledge that the Father had put all things, all things under his power, this infinite power, and Jesus uses infinite power to serve, to turn and wash his disciples' feet, right? And so one of the things we learn here is that the things that come from God and are given to us, our gifts, our resources, our abilities, are not for you. They're to be used for the good of other people, to impart to other people. And that's what Christian love looks like, right? Christian love is selfless love. Number three, Christian love is cleansing love. Look at this, verse uh, 6 through 8. He came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. The other kind of big lie about love in our culture right now that I think is becoming almost dogma is that to love someone means to accept all of their beliefs and practices, to accept without condition, without challenge. It means to, to be tolerant, to accept. Love and acceptance are almost synonymous now in our world, right? That, that if you love someone, you just accept who they are. Love me for who I am, right? But Jesus' love is cleansing love. When Jesus goes to the disciples and loves them, he is cleaning them. Listen to this quote from Becky Pippert. It's in a book called Hope Has Its Reasons. She says, the less I love somebody, the more tolerant I am. If I see them doing things that hurt themselves, but the more I love somebody, the less tolerant I am. I want to grab them. I want to shake them. I want to say, can't you see what you're doing to yourself? She says, I'm not angry because I hate them. I'm angry because I love them. If I didn't love them, I'd walk away. But real love stands against lies that destroy and she says, you know this, right? I mean, if, you, if you're a parent, you know this. When you see your kids starting to adopt habits or problems that are going to destroy their life, what do you do? You, you're moved, like you can't get it off your mind. All you want to do is stop this behavior in your kid because you see it destroying. You see its destructive power, right? She says, she says this, she says, the more a father loves his son, the more he hates the drunkard, the liar, the traitor in the son. And then she ends like this. She says, anger is not the opposite of love. Hate is. And the final form of hate is indifference. When Jesus shows love to his disciples, it's a cleansing love. And I think the call here for us is that when we love each other, we have a vision for who God made us to be, and we pursue that together. We, we do not shy away from telling someone, what you're doing is hurting you. 
Of course it's motivated by love, and there's a whole way you can do this that is hurtful and hateful, and the church has gotten that wrong. But it doesn't mean we should adopt the world's view and just say everybody's okay, everybody's fine, because we're not, and the church needs the world, and we need each other, and the world needs the church to say, hey, this is hurting you, this is killing us. We need to repent. We need to turn to the Lord. We need, we need his cleansing love, right? So Christian love is cleansing love. And so those are the three things. And if you move down to 1335, those are the three observations I want to make. But in 1335, Jesus says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If we live willing to love in ways that are both extraordinary and ordinary, if we love with a selfless love, if we love with a cleansing love, if we act that out, if we practice that as a church and as disciples, Jesus says, the world will know that you're mine. And the question is, how do we do that, right? How do we, where do we get sort of the motivation or the ability to love like that? Because it is such a high bar. And so for that, I want to spend the rest of the time uh, looking at this command and then going back over those points. We pray with me for a minute? Father, this is the part that I want to say really well. And, uh, and I fear that I might not. And I pray that you would um, do it for me. That you would give me words and, uh, and clarity as we go through this. And God, I pray that hearts that need to know your love would be open to it and would hear um, the voice of your spirit and know the love of your son. Amen. In John 13, 34, Jesus says this, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And this is interesting because the, the you know, if you're familiar, you guys have been going through the Sermon on the Mount, the golden rule um, is, is there in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? That, that's kind of the first version of the golden rule. And then Jesus quotes from Leviticus later in the Gospels, and, and he says, love your neighbor as you love yourself, which is kind of, I think, a lot higher bar. Like, you can actually, you can kind of do unto others what you want them to do unto you, especially if you just want people to leave you alone, right? Uh, that's, but, but as soon as you say, do unto others what you're willing to do for yourself, now that bar goes real high. But here's Jesus giving a new command, and he says, he, I'm taking you out of the equation altogether. The picture of perfect love is not found in you, it's found in me. He says, I'm the picture of perfect love, love as I have loved. And so what I want to do is look at his love, and the way I want to do this is, <laughs> it's kind of like an experiment, I've never done this before. I just want to restate the three points. I want to go back and do the same three points, but instead of looking at what it teaches us to do, I want to look at what it says about him. Because... As we look at the, the foot washing and the demonstration that Jesus is giving his disciple, you need to see something that's going on here. He's not just teaching, right? Jesus is not just teaching us something about love. He's not even just giving us an example to follow. It's, it's not just an example that in the foot washing, in this event with his disciples, Jesus is revealing to us the very heart of God. And it's, it's easy sometimes to think of this event like it was a 
Like Jesus was doing something he doesn't normally do because he had to show the disciples something. Like he would, next time I come in here, all the feet better be clean because you all better have already washed each other's feet. That's not my job, right? That's not what's going on here. Jesus, in washing the disciples' feet, is revealing to us who he is. He's showing us the heart of God. He is a foot washer. And I want to look at this passage now through the same three points and look at the heart of Jesus. So number one, the love of Christ, guys. The love of Christ sometimes seems ordinary. He poured water in a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. I just said that, that Christian love means that sometimes we have to love people in ways that seem ordinary. But what does this teach us about Jesus? What does it teach us about the heart of God that he got down and washed the disciples' feet It means that the ordinary and mundane parts of your life are not beneath him. They don't go unnoticed. They're not unimportant to him. And, man, we need to know that, that he cares about every bit of every part of your day. The Bible teaches us that he numbers the hairs on your head, that he knows every detail and he cares intimately about every detail of your life, that that he cares for the sparrows, He says, I care for the sparrows. The Father cares for the sparrows, and you are so much more valuable to me than a sparrow, right? I I think it's easy to start to just kind of just get into this mindset that God just doesn't really care that much about the normal, ordinary stuff in my life. He cares about the big stuff, and he cares about, you know, the big decisions or the the life-shaping things that I do, but when it comes to my day-to-day, does he really care? And the answer here is yes. He cares intimately about every bit of it. I've been going through the first couple chapters of um, Revelation, and it, it struck me, it was cool that I was doing this sermon as I was reading that, because over and over in the, in the first couple chapters, Jesus says to the churches, I see you, I see you, I see the struggle, I see the perseverance, I see what you're going through, it does not go unnoticed by me. He says it over and over, I see, I see and I know. He's not disengaged. He's not unaware, and he doesn't not care. He loves you. I love the, the hymn. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses, and the voice I hear ringing in my ear, the Son of God discloses, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own, and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Such a simple Uh, beautiful hymn about the intimacy with the Lord in a mundane, ordinary situation. That's what is available to us because your Lord is a foot washer. Number two, the love of Christ is selfless love. The love of Christ is selfless love. John 13, 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. We looked at the fact in point two that Jesus used the resources of his power to love. And so in the same way, we need to use what we have available to love other people, right? But what does this say about Jesus? What does it say about who he is? Look... I was, I was um, looking back over a book by Andy Crouch called Playing God as I was preparing for this, uh, this sermon. He has, a, he has a, a book called Playing God, and it's about power dynamics. And he explains that power 
uh, especially in, in Christian circles, is almost always used negatively. Like we, we have a really sort of negative view of power. We think of it as something that is harmful and hurtful that we as a church, we're as, as believers, have to stand against, right? Speak truth to power is something we hear frequently. And Crouch explains that the reason we have such a negative view of power is that we have, we, we have the world's idea of power dynamics that um, basically he, he traces back to Friedrich Nietzsche who said that power is basically a competitive zero-sum game. Power is a zero-sum game, which means that if, if I have more power, it means you have less. That if I have more control and influence, it means you have less freedom and influence. That power is this zero-sum thing, and, and that whoever gets it is in control, and that means everyone else is losing it, right? That's how the world views power, and that's how Nietzsche saw power. But Andy Crouch says, but the biblical view of power is totally different. That when God uses his power, it's not to take freedom, it's to give freedom. And he looks at the creation account and he says, here was the one, one of the most powerful acts of God in the Bible, the, the creation of the universe. God speaks and it doesn't take power. It in, it, into existence comes thousands or millions of beings, birds and animals and fish and plants. He fills the world with life and then the crowning achievement is the creation of, of a man and a woman who can build and create and make just like their father. That when God uses power, it doesn't take life, it gives life. It doesn't diminish flourishing, it brings about flourishing. That the exercise of his power is, is abundant life for good and for freedom, and it enables other people to move out in, in the same kind of giving, loving power. And he says the difference between the way the world sees power and the way the Bible portrays God's power is love. Right? Because God's power is motivated by love. And so here's what he says. Love without power is less than it was meant to be. Love without the capacity to make something of the world, without the ability to enable the beloved's flourishing, is frustrated love. That is why the love that is at the heartbeat of the Christian story, the Father's love for the Son and through the Son for the world, is not just a sentimental feeling, but has been signed and sealed by the most audacious act of true power in the history of the world, the resurrection of the Son of God from the dead. Power at its best is resurrection to full life, to full humanity. Whenever human beings become what they were meant to be, when even death cannot finally hold us prisoners then we can truly speak of power. Now go back and look at what John says about Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. I mean, it's easy to just read right by that and miss what John is saying. This is an extremely high and lofty statement. The Father has put all things, all things under Jesus' power. If I were writing this, it would go like this. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Nevertheless, he got up from his meal and wash their feet. But that's not what it says. It says, Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up and he washed the disciples' feet. Jesus is fully aware of the, the infinite power that is coursing through his veins, and as a result of the knowledge of his power, he gets down on his knees and he washes the disciples' feet. This is the Jesus we serve. 
This is who he is. And when you have this idea of power that it's this zero-sum game, then your relationship with God is threatening. And the best you can hope for is to stay on his good side. Like, maybe he loves you as long as you're useful to him. But that's not who he is. That's the lie that was spoken in the garden. That's what Satan told Eve. Don't trust him. Don't, don't sell out to him. Be careful because he, he doesn't have your best interest at heart. But here is Jesus with infinite power at his disposal, and it motivates him to get down on his knees and wash the feet of his disciples on his way to the cross where he will ultimately serve and love them to the end. My friends, your Lord is a foot washer. And lastly, save the best for last. The love of Christ is cleansing love. The love of Christ is cleansing love. We said that Jesus here shows us how to love because because he cleans the feet of the disciples. And so when we interact in love with other people, our our role as Christians is to, to express cleansing love. But what does this show us about Jesus? What does it teach us about him? Look again at the exchange with Peter. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize what I am doing right now, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Look at this answer. Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. To understand what's going on here, you have to understand who Jesus is. You have to see that this is more than an example, right? That Jesus is teaching us something about the coming cross, about what he's about to face tomorrow. And Jesus' death on the cross was not martyrdom. He didn't die for a cause outside himself. His death was not an accident. He wasn't the victim of tragic circumstances. It wasn't even a great example of what love is. Jesus' death was an accomplishment because of who he is. And you need to know that on the cross, he accomplished something. And what he accomplished is being taught to the disciples right here as he kneels to wash their feet. He's showing them that what he's about to do tomorrow is cleansing love. And folks, when you and I love each other with a a cleansing love, the best we can do is is fight against the lies and the sin that destroy us, right? But when Jesus loves with a cleansing love, he can clean you. He can really do it because of the cross. It's what the cross means, and it's what we need. And I I think it's so helpful to look at Peter and this exchange because he comes to Peter, and and Peter says, Oh, hold on. Like, I think what Peter is saying, like, I'm ready to serve, and I'm ready to go to war. I'm ready to lay down my life. You can have everything of mine. I will... I will be at the church every time the doors are open. I will share my faith. I will maintain moral purity. I'll do all this stuff, Jesus, but you can't wash my feet. And Jesus' answer to Peter is so beautiful. He says, unless I wash you, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Folks, this is the heart of the Christian message. Our Lord is a foot washer. It's what he does. And when we go to him, The first thing, the first thing he does is he washes you. In verse 23, um, 
we meet a new character in the, in the book of John, or at least a new name. One of the disciples, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. And uh, most scholars and theologians think this is, is the Apostle John, the guy who wrote the book. He calls himself in the book the disciple whom Jesus loved. For years I read that and just kind of thought, like, that seems kind of arrogant, <laughs> right? Like, the, call yourself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Like, what about the other guys? <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't love them? No, that's, that's not what's going on here. John has just witnessed the most incredible um, example, the most incredible display of love, looking forward to the ultimate act of love. And if you ask John who he is, he doesn't say, I'm a disciple. He doesn't say, I'm a son of Zebedee. He doesn't say all kinds of things he could say. He says, I'm the disciple Jesus loves. This becomes John's identity, and it's what motivates him the rest of his life. I want to ask you, do you know yourself as the disciple Jesus loves? I mean, is that the core of your identity? Have you encountered a, a Jesus who loves in ordinary, everyday situations? Have you encountered his selfless pursuit of you with the power and resources of all of heaven? And have you seen his cleansing power work in your life? Have you known him as a foot washer? Are you the disciple Jesus loves? My challenge to you is to look at the cross and be moved by this teaching, this foot washing that teaches us who he is, and let him have you. He is good. He's a foot washer. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this um, incredible story and incredible example of, uh, of love. Love that it sets the bar out of this world. Uh, it is impossible to keep this example until uh, you work within us and make us lovers like you, make us foot washers like you. And I pray that you would do that work. I pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to the truth of your love, that we would uh, be moved, that we would be shaped, and that we would become people who love like you so that the world will know that we are your disciples. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.